Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Did you play a role in, in some of the aura hits like um, Make Up Your Mind or Are You Single? Or I was there. I didn't do a lot of playing. Uh, most of what was done then was still done by Steve Washington, Philip Fields was on keyboards. Um, Ignatz played on, you know, played drums on most of it. I did play drums on, um, you know, uh, Think About It. Uh, no, Think, think of You. I, I forget the name of the song. It's been so long since I've listened to it. Um, Star and Kurt really began to grow into uh, very strong vocalists in the studio. Uh, they were in a group together before and Stevie had met them and he realized that we needed some help vocally wise. And so that's when he brought them on into, you know, um, our fold. But um, there was just a lot going on. And then, you know, we were with Salso Records. That's where, um, or, you know, was, um, uh, uh, they were our record company. There was a time that we had the opportunity to do like a three album. They were gonna give us three different projects to do. We were gonna do another or album. They were offering a solo album for Starlene Young. And then we could have done another project and called it uh, Water in the Cup. And business-wise, I'm not going to go into it because I don't believe in throwing laundry out. We didn't take care of that. If it was only five or six of us and each project was bringing in 80000 that's income. So it's little things like that that I, I look back on and that's where, you know, that's where we dropped the ball. Do you remember your final show back then with Slave? No. Um, the thing that was interesting, there were, there were, there were about two or three individuals that had really become um, aggressive towards each other. We were all staying in the same house. There was a house in Orange, New Jersey that uh, we were renting at the time. We knew from the fourth album, Just a Touch, to the fifth album, Stone Jam, we knew we could come together and make hit records. That was the least of our problems. Um, but again, we would record the record. Record company was, you know, we're on the radio but we don't have any money. And then because Stevie knew that we needed to um, create other income, that's when we started doing the aura thing. And everybody was invited to be involved in it, but some individuals looked at it as, I don't know what they looked at, but they didn't like it. And maybe it's because, you know, at the time, Stevie was still, you know, um, the leader. And when you're the leader and there's still a lot of financial problems, but we're on the radio, you know, we're looked upon as being 
you know, a great band, it was a lot of volatile moments. So um, I didn't know the day that I actually left that I was leaving. We all went over to um, our business um, manager's um, business place in, in New York. The day that I actually left, I didn't know it was going to happen. We had a big meeting over at, um, his name was Gerald Dillette. He was our business manager, helped, you know, helped us with our finance as far as making sure our taxes and stuff's being done right. Um, the manager who took over the group, um, he kind of made a threat to me right to my face, um, saying that, well, he wasn't worried about me because he had people around me. I'm sitting there, I'm like, but keep in mind, I'm like, let me see. 1981, 1980, I was 20, I wasn't 30 years old yet. And the person that I haven't met before is basically threatening me. It was a no-brainer. I just said, well, no, y'all going ahead. Um, and because there was so many of us, you know, I mean, they didn't, it wasn't necessary to stay together. What was necessary was the group needed to be on the road. We had already recorded Watching You, Stone Jam album. We knew that was going to be successful because we were coming off of Just a Touch. So we knew that was going to be successful. And we had already, me and Stevie and Starlene and Kurt, we would already started being more focused on, not more focused, but we were focused on Aura just as much as Slave because we were trying to do it together. And, you know, just a lot of guys, they didn't feel it. And um, I'm not gonna even say they were wrong. I mean, we're, when there's no money, there's no money. So, you know, I don't care what situation it is, you know, uh, families break up, uh, businesses break down. And that's when um, it, only, it only took that one comment that this guy made and I'm like, I'm out. And so, you know, that was it. Um, we didn't do a lot of shows. Um, there's a there's a comment on the back of, I think it's, it's the um, Stellar album, where the phrase is made, you'll hear us, but you'll never see us. Hmm. And when it was said, I'm like, uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, I know because I went to, you know, so many concerts back then, and Slave was never coming to L.A. I mean, I was seeing the cameos and the confunctions, the Parliament Funkadelics and the Bootsies and the, I mean, almost, you name it, Heat Wave even, I saw back then. But, um, yeah, I saw Roger many times. But uh, the, the, the thing that was put into our heads is we were only going to go into debt. And we didn't need to do that. But if there's no concerted effort to make it happen, I mean, you could even make a living doing shows in a certain part of the country. You didn't have to travel all the way to California or, uh, I mean, we were living on the East Coast. So we just did the East Coast going down South. You know, we played in Atlanta four times the first year. And see, now I live here now, and I see how Lakeside will come here three, four times. Zappanen will come here two, three times every year. So, I mean, the thing is, those were the mistakes that we made. And, um, you know, back when we did break up, you know, some people thought that, you know, it was drug-related. We didn't have drug-related problems when we were together. That wasn't our problem. Our problem was uh, our trust factor of what was going on had diminished because there wasn't enough income. And after you went to go to your nine to five life, um, how much did you keep in touch with the guys and who did you have, you know, strong relationships with? Um, there was several years where I didn't have a relationship with, with marketing. I and mean, keep in mind, I, I didn't know life without being close with Mark and Floyd. You know, going all the way back to second grade, including their family, their sisters, you know, um, our family. Um, so it was, I would say it was difficult because, you know, I went on with my own life. I got married. I had a daughter. Um, 
I got involved in some other things. All of it wasn't great. And when I came out of that, going into 1985, 86, that's when, you know, when, when I really just started working a job. You see, I've always been more business minded as far as what works from a business standpoint. And it has served me well. I think in some aspects, I've still been more productive with my regular life than some of the other cats. But um, I've never um, just said I didn't want to do it anymore. Going back to when, when the when the shows began to happen, when, when um, they started doing the old school shows and all that, I really didn't have have a desire to do it then because I was just getting myself in, in you know in, in order, you know, doing what I was doing. When I started actually getting a real feel for wanting to play again was when I started playing in church. And what was weird, I had never even thought of playing a saxophone in church. So I was in the choir, you know, singing, and I'm trying to, you know, you know, get my life in order, you know, working a job. And somebody found out that I played, you know, sax. And they said, Man, bring your sax. And I was like, okay. And so I never forget, keep in mind, I hadn't been playing. So the first time I played it, I'm glad, you know, I haven't heard it since I played it. But everyone's like, oh, that's great, that's great. And I was like, and then it dawned on me. Now keep in mind, I was in, uh, I was in a Methodist church when I first started playing. And then shortly after that, I started going to a, a Baptist church. So you take a saxophone in a black Baptist church. <laughs> when some of those hymns would hit, and that's when I really started be, be beginning to love not only playing, but I enjoyed listening to myself. So from, I would say, 19... 93, 94 on till about nine years ago, uh, I played in the church and I, I played every Sunday. Um, that's what I got, quote, that's what I got my groove back as far as having a, a, a desire to play. And I wasn't playing to record. I was, I was only playing to enjoy playing. And um, I hadn't felt, felt that way um, in a long time, not since we were just really practicing to learn to record. So that's when I got my true uh, uh, um, taste and playing again. But then that's when the industry started um, playing our records. Uh, that's when all the groups started sampling us. And that's when there was a desire and a need for us to reconnect to take care of some business because now you're talking about writers' royalties, publishing royalties, and that created a 12, 13 year long legal fight. Not only between us, but between us and the record company. Because see, record companies, and you know, especially when it's been big groups. They love the fact they were fighting because until all that is res is resolved, they're just collecting all the monies. And it's just, and after a while, you know, people die off. That money sits there forever. So it took us about 12 years of internal strife. You know, we were in legal battle with Steve Washington. He had been bought out. Uh, he had no more rights to the name. He had no more rights to uh, the publishing. He had his own personal, you know, publishing share as far as his mechanical royalties and stuff like that, but he sold everything. Then when the other artists started sampling us, and I'm still sitting at my job in Dayton, Ohio, and I'm getting phone calls like, well, man, we need to work this out. We need to work this out. And I'm looking at the phone like, work what out? And then, you know, people kept calling, no, we need, you know, we need to get together. And it's like, I made the mistake. And see, a lot of people would listen to what I was saying. I made the mistake of getting the guys, the other guys, to sign back with him 
to get the record thing straightened out. That was a mistake. Because at times, yeah, there was a lot of things that was just taken advantage of. Not during that period of time, but it's like any business. If only one person is really keeping track of what's going on, that's not good. Temptation creeps in in the best of situations with billion-dollar companies and thousand-dollar companies. So we just got that solved uh, a little bit over two years ago. Our original co-manager, Astor Val Hackett, came back in the fold, and he knew everything. He was there from pretty much day one. He came back in, and it was, I mean, during that period of time, we lost... Uh, man, it was bad. Uh, Mark Adams died. Uh, Drack died six months later. Um, we had an attorney that we was working with. The attorney died. <laughs> uh, Orion passed. The other saxophone player. We went to high school together. Um, Danny died. They, they, they died within six months of, of uh, each other. Um, and what I just learned about a month ago, no one knew that Carter Bradley died. The original keyboardist. No one knew. He died in February. No one knew. Was he just living by himself somewhere? So, no. himself. He yeah. was he was a recluse. Carter was always to himself. That's why he got the, the nickname All Things Off the Wall. Great guy. He just was to himself. And see, when we were, uh, Carter was like seven, eight years older than us. So when we're 16, 17, Carter's 24, 25. Tim Dozier, the drummer, he was um, four years older. You know, Tim Dozier is still alive. Uh, me and him are, you know, you know, we talk here and there, but, you know, we're good. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the, the, the guys passed. And during all this period of time that we're fighting over uh, getting Atlantica Warners straight, because we weren't getting our royalties, all of a sudden in 2000, because we tried numerous things, they finally sent out, they were holding our mechanical royalties. I got a check for 50,000 out the blue. Mark Adams got a check for 90 some thousand because Mark Adams wrote on everything. You know, he got writer's credit on every song that we did and he deserved it. Um, they just out the blue, just started mailing out checks. And one of them, they mailed to the wrong person. They, they, Mark Hicks, they mailed the check that was supposed to go to him to some other Mark Hicks, I believe in Illinois somewhere. So this guy, <laughs> they're still probably trying to recoup that. But they did that, but they still had not settled the publishing royalties. And there were still record royalties. And then they refuse to acknowledge to this day, they have refused to acknowledge that Stone Jam with gold, even though they gave out gold albums that was awarded back in. Yeah, everyone knows that was a gold album. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I mean, you know, record companies, they get the money first, they count the money first. And so um, this is it was just very painful. So and then over this course of time, you know, Drac would go out and he would play with a band. He'd have some guys in Chicago. He would have some people out in California and other places, and he would work with them. And I wasn't mad at him. I mean, he was he was doing what he was doing. Me and him, I mean, keep in mind, we were cousins too. We would talk a lot. He said, man, yeah, this came back from... Uh, New York, I just did this. I'm like, hey man, Dracula, man, you know, and he called he would call me at work. <laughs> but what happened after he passed, these people that he were doing shows with, they start saying that they're slave. 
And to this day, some of these people are going around saying that they're slaves. And it's like, I've never met you. You've never recorded on one album, one record that we did. But the reality is, is that a promoter can pay them three, four thousand dollars, put slave on the billboard, and they make money. For me, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even bother me as much if some of these groups sounded good. Right. They sound like crap. And so we finally, because Steve Washington had illegally retrademarked the name back when we were concentrating on the other lawsuits. We had two lawsuits. We had a lawsuit with him. We had a lawsuit with Warners. Um, during the time we were concentrating on that, he retrademarks the name Slave. And we're, and we're like, whatever, because there was never thought of as far as us going out doing any playing. And we were trying to get the royalty straight now. Because a lot, you know, a lot of people were sampling us. You know, it was just it was a lot of money that was that, that we were not getting. And so that's when a lot of these groups started going out saying that they're us. And um, Mark's son, Mark Adams' son, he's out. He calls himself Son of Slave on his Facebook page. And then the promoter called and say, I'm, you know, I want to book your slave. Then he, then, he, then he says he's slave. And it would be different if he sounded good. He is not his father. He never had any interest in playing until he could take advantage of getting whatever he's getting. And he's not getting enough to live off of because I just know he's not. So as of right now, there are a minimum of three groups. Two of them are direct results of you know Mark doing what he was doing. And now they say that they're slave. And uh, Mark's son, Mark Adams' son, you know, he's doing what he's doing. And um, we're taking care of it. Uh, as of about six months ago, we finally uh, was able to retrade the name slave, retrade market, because Stevie's had ran out. And... Um, we're working on some things. Um, me and Floyd Miller, Ray Turner, we are the existing members that are doing day-to-day, -day, you know, functions as far as the group's business. And um, we're not giving up on, let's just say, dusting off uh, some of the dust that has permeated um, the group. I mean, the biggest thing is, yeah, we can make some money, but it's it's way bigger than that. Legacy. Yes, that's the word, which is the name of our LLC, Slave Legacy. I go back to as great as our sound was, these folks, number one, they, they know nothing about what it took to get that. Most of them, put it this way, most of all, all these groups, Holiday Inn wouldn't hire them. But you want to get on the big stage. You want the girls to holler. You're not making a living. You know, most of these groups, they only get like about maybe five to 10 shows a year. But they're addicted to the stage. I'm not trying to do, we're not trying to do what, what we're trying to do to be on stage. That's, I mean, of course we want to play, but it's about writing the, it's, it's about correcting the legacy of what we did. I am not going to allow. I'm telling you now, if any of these people who have been doing this, pay attention to what I'm saying. My name is Thomas Henry Lockett Jr. And I am not going to allow you to keep doing what you've been doing legally, emotionally, and all those other leads that you can come up with. It's not going to happen. You've had your day. I had a conversation with a, a gentleman couple months ago, he's in, he's in Illinois. He tells me that he bought the name Slave from Steve Washington. You're just going to forego the United States Patent Trademark Office. 
And he tells me on the phone. Is this 7-Eleven parking lot or what? <laughs> and see, bottom line, what happened when Stevie's case, and they just drug it out and drug it out. Bottom line was when, when, when Stevie lost the case and it was thrown out with prejudice by Warners. See, Warners took care of that because after a while it was like, you know, they're still paying their attorney. It's going on for years and years and years. And finally, they said, look, we're paying all these legal fees. Let's just straighten this out. So they finally had Stevie's case thrown out. In the meantime, I kept inviting Stevie. I said, okay, look, we all make mistakes. Let's just, you take a cut, we'll, t- we'll all take. No, he still wanted to be the fearless leader. I'm like, dude, you sold your share. We got the money to buy you out through Atlantic. The money was advanced by Atlantic Records when he was bought out. You can't keep saying that it, it belongs to you. See, this is business now. This has nothing to do with emotion and, you know, what well, I'm young and I don't know. No, I've got a mortgage. I've got, you know, I've, I understand life now. And so I, I, I asked him, I said, man, look, just squash it. And the, the, I mean, the other thing is there were some guys that were nowhere near in as good financial shape I was. They weren't going to do it. Because it is principle. No, it's not going to happen. So when I see these other folks is going around saying that they're slaves, and you have to understand something. You know how many years this has been going on? A long time. So even the, the promoters and booking agents, agencies that we used to use way back in the day, all of them are gone. The people who are booking these new slaves, that's all they know. <laughs> and so I'm enjoying um, straightening this out. There's a couple of people that I'm bringing in, and one of them is definitely a, uh, a study of Mark Adams. See, this isn't about just bringing in some guys to actually say that you're slave. You can't just bring in some some uh, guitars and say, play drag solo. Um, I never forget, I was, uh, me and my wife we were at a concert in um, Indianapolis. It was the uh, Black Expo. And this was about 15 years ago. And I'm just saying, it was just a perfect day. It was outdoor concert. It was like 85 degrees. It's like 15, 20,000 black people out in the audience. You know, everybody's drinking, get their groove on. And it was confunction. Their plan is they start doing a medley. Scott, they went into slide. And it was like, you California, you know how it is when you're on the beach and, and a great wave comes in. And it's like, the whole place was like, oh my God, because they're not hearing it. Confunction, they're professional musicians. They went in there, and just as the guy was going to go into the solo, they cut it and went into something else, and everybody was like, <laughs> if it's done right, it's going to be great. And it's, and, it's, and it's going to be done right, or it's not going to be done. I'm not going, I'm not trying to do something to just have something to do. You know, because I don't, to be, to be honest with you, I don't enjoy traveling that much. So it has nothing to do with it. I'm just trying to go out and uh, be on the stage. It is about riding the ship. There's no way in the world with all the things that's going on in the world today. If you're going to say that you're the band slave, it needs to be done correctly and with respect. And for these people to be going around and see, but the other thing that's interesting, they can't do any interviews. The promoters know, the people at the radio station, they all know that it's just 
but it's been going on for so long. Well, if there are any actual fans in attendance, they're going to know also. They know. But then again, it's like, you know, there's two lakes. <clears throat> and I'm not going to say what I'm going to say, but I enjoy one of them better than the other one. So there were times going back a couple of years ago when they would just say Lakeside and I would go to a concert and I'm going, it's not the one I thought it was going to be. Both yeah, the of them are decent. But one of them for me is better than the other one. One only has one original member, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And, he and he was the lead vocalist. Yeah. And I'm not taking nothing from him. But when I see the other one, which is the original Lakeside, it's a better show. Let's just put it that way. It's a better show. It's the same with War. They have Lonnie doing War, and he's the only guy from War, you know, from the yeah. original. Yeah. So, you know, with Slade, I mean, at, at one point when the when the big split came and Steve Arrington and all the guys left and they went on the uh, Watching You tour. See, I never toured Watching You. Um, they came back to New York. And they did a show, uh, I forget where it was, but we all decided to go. Me, Stevie, Star, and Kurt, we went to the show. And um, they were so good. Arrington, you know, coming to his own as being a front man. Because see, Arrington was a drummer. He wasn't, he wasn't known for being a front man. He was a percussionist, drummer all around fun guy to be around. You know, Aaron's this great guy. He had learned how to be a front man. He had learned how to do his little grind, you know, the ladies. Ah! And it was like, I was just so happy for him. And I was like, wow. And then a bunch of stuff happened with them and their manager, all that, you know, all that fiasco happened. But, um, just imagine Slade with polished musicians and an awesome front man. Just think about that. A guy who, who could not only sing, rap, entertain, have somebody that if your eyes was closed, you would think it was Mark Adams playing. You got to have the right drums. See, when Arrington came in, one of the first things that he did as far as recording with us was Stella. And the reason why a lot of our songs began to get sampled a lot, they were sampling Adams and Arrington. It was the feel. Yeah, the rhythm and the percussion. The yeah. So all of these groups is doing this fake stuff. It's like, it's just, it's just horrible. And I'm like, don't y'all, aren't you embarrassed? Why Why not just, uh, you know, say we're shackles or something, a uh, tribute to slave, you know? And, and I couldn't have a problem with it, but you're actually saying that you are. And then the one guy that I said, I called, the guy that's in uh, Illinois, I got so mad one night, this was a few months ago, I called him. And he was excited that I was calling. And that kind of threw me off because I'm thinking he wouldn't want to talk to me. He calls me back. We're on Facebook, you know, Facebook thing. He said, how you doing? I said, I'm not doing good because of groups like you. And he was like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like, dude, you're not slave. He said, no, no, man, it ain't like that. It ain't like that. I'm like, okay, what is it like? Let me tell you what he told me. And I hope a whole lot of people hear me say this. He tells me, no, Stevie sold me the name, man. Sold you. The so I had our trade. how much is I wanted? <laughs> okay. So I said, man, let me send you what I have. Yeah. Which is the, which is the U.S. This, which is the United States Pad Trademark Office. Documentation that we now own the name. Let me just take a picture of this and send you this. I sent it to him. So man, well, no, that ain't got nothing to do with me, man. See, now, now this, this, this is what caught me. He says, man, look up in the right-hand corner. Look, look up in the corner. And I'm going, what's he, what's he getting ready to say? He says, man, that's for records. I ain't got nothing to do with the records.
This is a person that has never signed a record deal. Probably doesn't even know what publishing is. And if I just, I mean, I would just have more self-respect than to be going around saying that I'm slave. And then you're going to tell me, I don't know what I'm talking about. I've been in litigation the last 12 straight years. Said goodbye to five, six of my band members, the attorney, then the guy who came back in and helped us get everything straightened out, Astor Val Hackett, he suddenly passed. I was like, and, and he was the one that came up with Slave Legacy because he said, well, he felt bad because he had quit and left us early in what he probably should have or wanted to, but Val was just a uh, Jamaican guy that was just very, very, if things wasn't going right, he would just, you know, and I understood that, but, you know, he came back and he got all of our business straightened out. And as we get things straightened out, we're finding out how some of the guys have sold their royalties. You know, you, well, you know, like any business, as you're going through the process, then now certain things come out and it's like, okay, well, and like, again, and, you know, when Danny passed, See, Danny Adams, Drack, and Steve Arrington, those four were a big, big major part of all of our um, music. Every hit, every hit, if not all four of them, Arrington didn't come in until, you know, going to the third album. Those individuals played a major role. I mean, if you listen to what Danny used to play. There's no guitar players out there that play rhythm the way he played rhythm. And, but the thing is, again, because we were so young getting started, personal quirks kind of gotten in the way. And like I said, we didn't have, uh, we should have had, we should have hired someone to operate a managing company for us. But, we didn't. And again, you know, at that time, we were still 18, 19, 20 years old. So um, it's just a shame. But all I can say is this. Um, I, you know, I feel blessed that I sit out my right mind. Um, my health is good. Um, me and Floyd, you know, we are um, very close as far as the mentality about riding the ship and not because we just want to go out and play. But our music community, even people, I, I look at the other groups in Ohio, zapping them when they go out and play. And then they'll be on the show with one of the fake groups. They know what's going on like you know what's going on with your family. And I know they're going, <laughs> what in the world is going on? So that's why it wasn't until we could get all the other stuff taken care of. There was nothing more important because, you know, legal fees are not, you know, you know, but we were blessed. The last attorney that we had, he could have technically kept all the royalties that the company finally paid out. And he just, he said, just give me, you know, I think it was about 20 grand he took and he gave us the rest, which was still nothing that, you know, I mean, it wasn't what we thought. They figured out a way. And if you know anything, if you've talked to any other artists, record companies, they have a seven-year cap. You know, they weren't going to pay anything. They didn't go back seven years. But we didn't fought for 10 years. So what was there, some of the big records, especially um, Gin and Juice, they, they still kept all that. See? And then, you know, like I said, a couple of our writers who um, were... Uh, had nice percentages as far as our publishing. They sold their royalties for pennies. Like 20 years ago before, the, before you know, and we don't find this out until we're going through everything. And then the record company at a, at a point is trying to get us to have people sign off that have never recorded with us. Or if they did record, they just recorded. They didn't 
And so it, it's just all a game. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't know from all the musicians that you've been around, whatever. Record companies play the games that they play. But um, again, I'm just excited that um, I think I would feel just as good to just stop the crap that's going out. I think I would actually be just as satisfied stopping that so that our fans are not being hoodwinked. It's like if I knew I was going to see um, Cameo and none of the people up there has ever been with Cameo. Yeah, well, even now, I mean, they've had a lot of issues too, Cameo. Um, but uh, it reminds me, Tom, of have you ever gone to rent a video and you think it's some particular movie, but you get it home and find out that it's some cheap knockoff that has almost the same title? And you're like, damn it, what the hell? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but... Um... In Dayton, you know, it's, it's it's funny because there's so many guys there that still to this day, they sit around, well, man, you know, we're going to go ahead. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And um, we'll bring Lockett in. And we'll... What are y'all talking? How are you going to bring me in? <laughs> but it, it, it has been systemic for so long that people just get comfortable with dysfunction. You know, it's like our government. It's totally dysfunctional and the people who are there, they're not there to help what they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be working for the people. They're only working for themselves. All of them. I'm not, I'm not pro, put it this way, I vote Democrat, but all of them, I'm not saying that they're doing all what's right. The people that are there now, they're there seem like forever. And it's the same thing. They're not doing it for the right reasons. So these people are going around. Number one, they've never had a record out. Number two, I'm around some of the some of the greatest cats that I have seen in a long time down here in the Atlanta area. I've seen some some, some folks perform and play, and I'm going. They're just as good as what we were back in the day, if not better. Because these guys are seasoned musicians, seasoned vocalists, but they don't have a brand. They can't go 200 miles away and say that uh, uh, me and my guys are here. The name of my group is me and my... No, no, nobody know me and my guys. But if you say Slave, if you say Roger Trotman Zap, if you say Kuna Gang, and I'm not going to compare myself with Kuna Gang because when's the last time, this might be dropping again, when's the last time you went, or no, when's the last time you were just looking at TV and did not hear Kuna Gang? <laughs> so it's just something that I'm taking upon myself with great enthusiasm to fix. Um, I am, I am, I am just so over with these guys when I'm doing that. Yeah, well, you know, congratulations to you for persevering through all that and getting to this point. And uh, those of us that love the group so much and that legacy and the music are just thankful, you know, that there's someone acting as a guardian, you know, to preserve it and yeah. uh, and to see it through. So, um, what can people expect to see or hear, you know, moving forward? We're finishing up the final touches of uh, reintroducing ourselves to um, booking agencies, uh, promoters, because I live down here in Atlanta. Um, I've met the right people. Uh, it's not going to be overnight. I don't expect for us to be able to say, we're the original members, and you know, it's not going to be that easy. These promoters have been used to paying pennies on the dollar for the name. Even the people who have been going to shows and seeing them play. Just to hear that uh, original cats are back and they're performing, that won't mean anything 
to, to an audience until they actually maybe go in and see it. So um, I'm putting forth a, uh, a strong social media presence. I've just started that. I just shared that with you. Uh, it takes that these days. Back in the day, there was, there was no such thing as social media. But these days, if you're not available on someone's phone from moment to moment, you don't exist. Unless you are someone like, you know, cool in the gang or just, just like the, the, the Ohio players, they don't need to do social media because they've been consistent with addressing their audience and they haven't gone through someone saying that they're them. You know, they've been protective of, of their brand. That's true. But they did drop the ball during the 1980s, for sure, at least. You know, because I was a huge Ohio Players fan, so I can tell you that they kind of were messing around yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's so uh, good to see them back. I'm going to know more in the next, I'll be honest with you, the next 30 days or so. I've made some contacts with people who... If they see what's going on, because see the, the the legal stuff is basically taken care of. It's not about filing lawsuits against the people that's going out doing the fake stuff. What it's about is when I find out about a show, is address the promoters <laughs> and the people who's doing the shows, because there's been no opposition. So That'll take care of itself within the next, I'll say, two to, two to four or five months. But we have to offer the solution and make it available. To be honest with you, the individuals that I know I want to bring on board, I am so excited. Um. Again, there, there's so much talent, and it's always been that way. Probably some of the greatest musicians and vocalists no one's ever seen because they never got the break. Um, I'm pretty sure exactly, probably 80% of what I know, uh, that I know of right now. Uh, there's, there's this one guy down here. I'm not going to throw his name out there. He's like Roger Trotman. This guy plays guitar. And see, Roger was not a great vocalist. This guy sings, plays the talk box very well, and bass, uh, bass keys. I mean, it's just, and he, I mean, he loves the group. When I first actually started talking to him about doing something, um, was a couple of years ago. Of course, I was nowhere near ready to actually, you know, speak to someone about doing something. But you see, a, a lot of these guys down here in Atlanta, they, um, if they don't do it for a living, they definitely um, make good money at doing it. So there's a community of them. That there was a, uh, a possibility of using some other folks, which anything is possible. I mean, it's almost like I'm in a human resources thing now. But what I'm not going to do is bring on some people just to bring some people in. These days, you know, when you go to a show, you want a show. You want it to sound good, but you need some action. <laughs> you need some stuff going on. So I'm having to take myself out of my comfort zone instead of just bringing in a bunch of folks that I know because we have gotten older. So, um, I'm excited. I'm gonna know more in the next 30 days because I've, I'm, I'm trying to wait till I got everything together um, as far as the business side. Um, That'll probably work out really well timing-wise because this is gonna post probably like the first week of February or so, so like three correct. weeks or so, so. Right. And I really appreciate you giving me this um, airtime, this this um, ability to say some things because you know a lot of folks. You know, again, all of the all of the music community in, in Dayton, I'm I'm like an outcast. But you know, this is the music business. It's not just the music; it's the music business. So, um, 
it's just necessary to have things together. And so um, there has to be accountability. People have to know that um, when you say something that you're a person of your word, and if there is a problem, you let them know that there's a problem. Because we're all too old to play games. You know, this it isn't worth it. You yeah. know, so uh, yeah, the the, uh, the timing of this is good. You know, people who book shows, they do it like two, three months in advance. So I just want to make sure that we get to um, the business community that, that, that books, you know, acts like us. All the people who used to book us, <laughs> they're not booking anymore. I have to make myself uh, available and make the group available to uh, the individuals who, who are booking artists like us. So um, that's not a big problem. But the main thing is I have to reach out to them through social media and make sure that they know that we know what we're doing and that we're in control of our business. And how can people best reach out to you if they want to pursue you know, what's going on. If maybe a promoter's watching this, you know, or whatever. I would say, um, our, um, website is slavelegacyllc.com. You can email slave legacy touring number 24 at gmail.com. If there wasn't so many kooks out there, I put my personal cell phone out there, but I can't do that. But Slave Legacy LLC, and of course, we have, if you go to our Facebook page, you can find all that information. We're, we're, not, we're, we're also on YouTube and Instagram. So we have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram page, and we have a YouTube page. So there's always ways that you can reach us that way. But um, I'm putting something out in the next week or two and I'm going to constantly keep putting in ways the same information that I gave you. I'm going to constantly keep making sure people know how to reach us. And um, it's coming soon. <laughs> Let's do something about this. Are we done, man? Because this is, this is driving. This I, I actually, I wanted to ask you like uh, one or two quick more questions, like quick uh -huh. fire, like um, aside from slide, what would be your favorite slave track and why? You know, normally I would have said just a touch. And what a lot of people don't realize, I actually wrote the, the lyrics and the change. I didn't get credit on the album, but I'm getting my royalties and I actually, you know, saying that. But when I did the promo that I have out now, which is using Wait For Me, that should have been the single, the first single off of that album. Mark and all the guys, they did a great job on that track. That is actually became, even though it, it isn't, it didn't have the uh, awareness that Just a Touch and Watching You has had and still has, but it's become actually my favorite. And I didn't even perform on that. But it, it really brings to the forefront of where Mark Adams had become. On the third album, but especially the fourth, fifth, and sixth albums, Mark was at his best. It was very rare that he had to recut. When he played it the first time, it was done. And then he would go over and do, you know, certain overdubs, but it wasn't necessary. It was just him uh, still fine-tuning the sound that he wanted to put out there. Um, there were certain artists that would come through. And remember I told you about the wall that we had, the wall of equipment. They wanted to rent our equipment and take it overseas. They want to pay us enough. So we said no. <laughs> but um, just a touch, uh, as far as what I was involved with, I would say just a touch. Just a touch of love was a song that we were going through some things. We had turned in the album to Henry Allen over at uh, Petillion Records. And because we had started to talk about other things. If you listen to the song, Thank You, 
you'll hear two different listen to the vocals at one point we're talking about we thank you for all the things we have and then you'll hear um um thank you girl they forced us to come back up and redo some of the vocals because we stopped talking about love and stuff like that. Um, just a touch of love, Stevie refused to come to the studio when we recorded Just a Touch. And it was the other two songs that was on that side. It was, I think it was Foxy Lady and um, the other song that Kirk Jones sang. Um, because he was upset because we turned in the album and he was, you know, really trying to make his um, producers, you know, he, he was trying to establish himself as being the producer. And um, he didn't come. So we did that on our own with uh, Jimmy Douglas. So, yeah, Just a Touch of Love is my next nearest thing as far as what I love the most as far as Slave. Are you ready for love? Is that the one you were trying to think of? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, thank you for that. And the one other question is, is there a track in the Slave catalog, I guess you could include Order if you want, but uh, that sort of, you know, you thought was pretty slick or pretty hot that, or has a special place in your heart that you thought maybe should got more of attention and people, hey, you know, go back and listen to that again. Starting all over. We weren't known for... Um, ballads at all but starting all over the music but also the lyrics because it was at that time that we kind of knew that we were needing to start all over that song really kind of you know and it's you know it's very rare that i go back to listen for whatever reason uh i think it's kind of like kind of painful but yeah starting starting all over was one of my favorites there you go so, hey, Tom, man, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for sharing everything with uh, uh, the Truth and Rhythm audience. And also, thank you for all the great music through the years, man. I know you stepped away from it for a while, and uh, glad you're back at it, you know, because uh, it deserves, as I said, you know, it deserves its proper attention, its proper place on the mantle of great funk and great R&B and just great music, you know? I appreciate you saying that, but I also know that you just didn't say it. You feel it, which is why it is very important that uh, me, Floyd, and Ray Turner, we're the only ones left that are dealing with this day-to-day. -day. We're doing everything that we can to not only resurrect it, but preserve it. Um, you can't have what has happened to us go on unanswered. It's disrespectful to the industry because it's hard enough to uh, accomplish what we have to let some people who did not record one note act like they're us. So to those individuals, I hope if you see this, you know it's not going to continue. I appreciate you. I will keep you posted and take care. I appreciate the opportunity. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, Submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, 
appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.